Hey friends, thanks again for joining us for the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. Each year we look back on our conversations with guests and we select the two most engaged interviews of the year. And this week we're featuring our conversation with Priscilla Shire. We hope you find it informative and we're wishing you a happy new year. Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Thanks for joining us for the final episode in our Great Communicator series, where we're talking with some of the top church leaders in the country about how to be effective preachers and teachers. This week, our series concludes with a thought-provoking conversation with Priscilla Shire. Priscilla is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and with her husband, Jerry, co-founder of Going Beyond Ministries. Going Beyond equips believers through books, Bible study resources, conferences, and films like War Room, I Can Only Imagine, and Overcomer. Priscilla has authored more than a dozen Bible studies and speaks to churches and conferences all across the world every year. But before we hear from her, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, it would help us if you left us a review. But first, now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Okay, great. Well, we're super excited, Priscilla, to have this conversation with you. It's, uh, of course, in our Great Communicators series. And you've been you've been teaching just, I mean, we, we, so many people have heard you and been blessed by your communication, but we want to kind of go behind the curtain and, and tell us a little bit about how you prepare when you're going to do a talk, you're going to do a message. What does Priscilla's preparation look like? Well, I have to acknowledge the fact that I'm very aware that I've been sort of in this masterclass on communications by default. My my whole life, I've just sort of sat in church every Sunday, and Tony Evans has been my pastor since I was one year old. And I'm serious. I'm sure I'm a little biased, but dad really is one of the greatest communicators I have ever heard in my life. And his capacity to communicate God's word in such a... um clear way that is so precise, yes, but is also so simplistic um, in the sense that anybody from any walk of life and any sort of level of biblical understanding can grasp these meaty principles. So I've heard that sort of teaching my whole life. And so sort of um, my, my natural reflex is to look at the scripture through that lens. How do I take this passage of scripture, this portion of scripture and exegetical teaching because of my master class and seeing dad do that my whole life is my natural bent. So I'm going to look at a portion of scripture that has grabbed my attention either because the major principle that I see shimmering to the, to the, the top there as I look at this passage or because just in my personal quiet time, the Lord has, and this is honestly, Ed, this is the main way that I come across passages that I will in, eventually teach to others, is that it's in my personal quiet time that there is a string of conviction that hits my heart with so much power, and the Lord and I are dealing with me on it. And then over time, as I'm praying through it, as I'm wrestling through it, I see the ability um, to sort of allow other people as well to be able to feast on what it is that the Spirit of God is saying through this passage of Scripture. And then I'm going to mine the text for the principles that support that one major theme. Um, I cannot overemphasize how, again, back to my dad, this is one of the probably the primary things that have been a valuable gem for me in teaching 
What is the primary theme of this passage that I'm wanting to communicate to this group of people? And then what are the principles from this text that support that one theme? Because I think sometimes we get so caught up in all of the many great gems that we're finding in this passage that by the time the listeners have finished hearing us, there's a, there's a thing here they remember and maybe a little illustration over here, but there's not one meaty principle that they can take home and say, here's what I can implement in my life and adjust and shift so that I can line my life up with the word of God in this one way. And that's been a primary thing that has kept me focused in mes- message preparation is what's the one thing I want this listener to go home with? And then any principles that might be incredible in this text, but they don't support that principle, then I'm going to communicate that at a different time. I'm going to just stick to what the main priority is here as I communicate to these people in this moment. And that that, that seems to take some substantive discipline. I, I would say to a lot of preachers, I want to say, you need to leave more on the cutting room floor. You need to uh, you know, even when you talk about three points, uh, which again is very simple, you know, very typical in a sermon, there's three points. But the way you communicate, and I've listened to you multiple times, is those principles, they still have to support one main point. So how do you, how do you, again, you say you draw it from the text, but the text might say more than one thing. So how do you frame what goes in and what goes out? Yes. Well, that editing process is brutal because to you, everything is so valuable as you're looking at it. Everything is exciting. You can see the juice and the meat there. But there is this process of once I've got all this study on paper and I see these principles or quotes that I've found or meat meat that I've pulled out of theological commentaries that are beautiful. And I go back looking at what begins to to uh, sort of come to the surface as the main three or four principles that are going to support my main point. Once I've got those three or four principles in front of me, then anything that does not fit comfortably into those three or four principles, I'm literally having to edit out. I put it on a separate page. So I'm saving it because it's good stuff for later, but I'm putting it on a separate page where it won't interrupt these major points. And I begin to filter in the things that support these principles. Mm -hmm. Anything that doesn't, I'm literally cutting and pasting it into a different document so that I can keep my mind and my, my heart focused on making sure that I'm headed in one direction for this message. Yeah. But, and you do communicate in very, very exegetically driven ways, which I think is an important distinction. So sometimes when people are working through an expository message, they'll actually say, well, you know, verse seven gives a a new point, I'll take a different direction. And verse eight takes a different one, I'll take a different direction. So there becomes a lot of content in there and it almost becomes running commentary. Your messages are are much tighter. And so, so, but you also sometimes take larger passages and do that. So, so you are intentionally saying, not this part now, but it's still here, but not this part now. So talk, talk to me about how when you're verbally communicating that, because you're obviously maybe skipping a theme in verse seven to tie into the greater theme that's in the larger passage. Do you say, I'm going to hold this to later or there's more here, but we're talk to us about how you do that. Well, um, I remember Zig Ziglar. Uh, he was like a grandfather to me in my early 20s. I got to spend a little time in his sphere. Um, one of the he's basically was like a a preacher with a business suit on. That's right. that's what he was. And um, I remember him saying that an audience is going to remember 10% of what you said. 90% better support that 10% because 10% is really all they're able to absorb, digest, and take home with them. Um, so when I'm looking at a portion of scripture that I want to share, honestly, I do take liberties and take rabbit trails. Sometimes I'll say that in a message. I'll say, you know what? I'm going to open up a parenthesis right here because this is some some gems right here that I just got to pull out 
um, either from the, the passage or from uh, the history behind it or um, something that was happening culturally at the time that is just a gem that I can't help but share. So sometimes I take rabbit trails intentionally, um, but most of the time, yeah, there might be a verse within a portion of scripture um, that I realize is going to take me so far off course from where I'm trying to head um, with the with the audience that I have in front of me that I literally might skip that verse, read it, but but not spend time really um, absorbing it with the or teaching it with that particular audience so that I can stay on task. So it does become, and, and I will tell you this too, I need to pause and say this, and, and I hope this encourages somebody, <laughs> message preparation is the hardest thing I do in ministry. Yeah. It is pain, painful sometimes. If I allow it, it can actually become discouraging to me. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people that I consider to be great communicators to ask them for wisdom on how they're doing this. It can't be this hard. I mean, this stuff will keep me up at night trying to figure out how to make things packaged in the way that I would prefer them to be. You know, there's a cadence and there's a rhythm that I'm looking for. And sometimes, a lot of times, the, the passage is not going to fall into that rhythm in the way that I wish it would, in the cadence that I would like for it to have. Um, so study can be more fun for me. Gathering insights can be more fun for me. Once it comes to how I'm going to communicate this, most of the time, it's like a thorn in my flesh. And I think mm -hmm. that after these now 20 years, I've actually prayed for 20 years, Lord, if you could make this easier, I would really appreciate that. <laughs> I think that this is one of the things the Lord has allowed to remain a thorn yeah. because this is the thing that keeps me most dependent on him. I'm like, Lord, if you don't do it, if you don't help me filter out what doesn't need to be said here, if you don't help me to see what's the main point you through the original author wanted to communicate to that audience so that by your Holy Spirit, I can communicate it to this audience. If you don't do it, I know for sure it's not going to get done. Um, so that filtering process becomes a matter of dependence upon the Lord to say, what needs to stay here today for this for this message and what needs to go? And then trusting him to help me do that. But yeah, I think that's topic. a big part of the difference between good and great communicators. And, you know, again, um, the, the it is possible and helpful and, and not even bad to go through and just say, let's address everything that's here, but to wrestle through and say, how can I communicate a cohesive theme, again, driven from the text, and to do so in a way that people, to get back to the Zig Ziglar thing, that they remember just that 10%. Well, maybe how do how do you, when you're trying to plan, I want them to remember these key things. Are you bringing in you know, the phrase that stays, are you bringing in some some key mnemonic devices? You mentioned cadence, which I, I, is so important and you're amazing doing with you know, following in a flow of cadence. So how do you say, I wanna make sure these are the things they remember? Yes, well, um, let's say for example, the, the um, theme is grace or the theme is, you know, God is able. I'm gonna, I remember, by the way, God is able came to my mind because I remember you and I sat down and had a conversation on your show at the time that would have been a decade ago. A Ed. long time ago. Yeah. A decade ago. Yeah, a TV show. Back when I had a TV show. I don't have one of those. That's anymore. right. That's right. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I'm going to keep God is able literally in print bold font at the top of my page. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to keep coming back to that. Every point that I have underneath, I'm going to make sure that the way this section of the teaching ends is with me saying, because 
God is able. And this is how you know God is able. This is why you can be steadfast because God is able. I'm putting that as a reminder to myself that the audience needs to hear this as much as possible so that they can absorb it and walk away with a confidence that the Holy Spirit wants to wants to give them because of it. So as I, um, I don't necessarily manuscript my messages, the older and older I'm getting, the more words I'm finding are actually on the paper um, so that I can keep myself focused. Um, but alliteration is something that I use because I find pe that people, um, when there is a cadence and then when there's maybe um, a, a poetry in a sense with alliteration to the, the sub points that are underneath, um, I do use those devices. But then my major goal is to make sure that every time I end a section of that message, I can go back to, and sometimes I'll write it in the margin in handwriting, I can go back to this main point and actually say it. Mm -hmm. over and over and over again and end with it, saying it. And end each point and then end the whole sermon with it. And then end the whole sermon with okay. it. So any okay. illustration that I'm going to give, which by the way, I usually, usually not all the time, but 90% of the time, I'm going to open with an illustration that leads to this major principle. If it's a good story, but doesn't get me to the principle, it's not the illustration that I should use for this message. Um, so I'm going to get to this main point and then I'm going to have sub points and a concluding, hopefully, illustration that when I end all of those, I could say the topic. I could say my main theme and there would be a clear connection that the audience would be able to draw all of the, the, the lines to be able to see exactly how I got there. OK, so so just to follow what you said, illustration, main point, sub points, another illustration back to the, the main theme and sort of end to that point, but keep coming back to to that main point. And so repetition is, uh, you know, I think sometimes pastors are afraid, uh, pastors or teachers are afraid that repetition seems trite, but it really seems to help people remember in ways that are significant. So how many times might you repeat something in the course of a message? I'd say no less than six. Really? Okay. I'm thinking again, it, you know, God is able. I'm thinking about how many times I would say that in a message um, or God's grace is sufficient. I might say that six times before I have finished this 45 minute to an hour long message. That's not too many times right. for this hearer to hear it. And again, the point is not to just hear it. They're trying to absorb it, digest it, and it become a part of the soul level of their life. Um, and this might be helpful as well. You know that age old Howard Hendricks, beautiful way to study the scriptures, observation, interpretation, and application. Um, in my personal quiet time, while I don't call it those three, th three things, I more look at it as what does the passage say, what does the passage mean, and what does the passage mean to me, meaning what is the Holy Spirit saying to me today? That's that application point. I find that in my sub points, that it still follows that same pattern. Every subpoint has to have an observation, meaning what does the passage say? I'm going to literally read so that when a, when somebody goes home or, or over brunch, they're trying to tell their friends what, what somebody taught or what I preached on or what the sermon was about. They are actually going to be able to read the portion of scripture that point came, came from. So I'm going to tell them, what did the passage say? There's observation. 
Then I'm going to tell them what the passage means. That's interpretation. This is in every point. What does it mean? What cultural or history um, can I bring into play there to paint a picture, to put flesh on it so that we can interpret it accurately? And then as quick as I can, I'm going to get to that third question. What does the passage mean to me? Meaning application. Here's what we're doing with what we just observed and interpreted. I most of the time can find those three layers into every single sub point of right. my method. That really is how I build the message, asking those three questions. Yeah, just having observed you teach, I think that uh, when you do the main theme, you you don't always do that for the main theme. You come in the sub points and then you bring it at the end and you, when you kind of bring it all together. Is that a fair representation of that? So the sub points seem to be much of the meat of your messages. Yes, I would say so. Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, so what is it you, you mentioned? You're on your notes, and you said on in the margins. So, it's, which makes me think that maybe you're writing by hand, which uh, which is very old school if you're doing that. Um, but um, but what is it? What do you bring into that 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 notes? What 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 is what? How many pages? How how structured? You said it's not a manuscript. And several of our authors have actually our of our, our, our great communicator series said they did write a whole manuscript. Max Lucado does a whole manuscript, but then he doesn't really. You know, he says, I, you know, I have it in front of me. So what does yours look like? Well, shucks, he's Max Lucado. I know, it is, it is, you expect everything. him to like, he's writing books when he's doing these things, so. Absolutely, as he should, oh my goodness, yeah. work um, Well, as I mentioned, kind of jokingly, but kind of not, the older and older I get, the more words I'm finding are actually on the page. Um, and I do think that there's a, um, I think the older I get, the more of a respect I have about making sure I'm precise in what I'm saying so that um, I am honoring the text. The older I get, the more and more I want to make sure that what I'm saying is, is not me flying off the seat of my pants or speaking out of emotion in the moment. I want to make sure I've thought through this major principle and that I am actually saying what it is that um, would most honor the Holy Spirit with this group in the moment. So I am being more precise in what I'm writing. But I would say if I get to more than three pages of notes that I'm bringing to a pulpit, to a platform, then I'm going to be talking too long. Really? Three and, and you go 45 minutes with three pages. Absolutely. Even an wow. hour, because okay. some of it is just um, a bullet point. Right. That bullet point is six minutes of me um, sharing something I've studied um, and I'm sharing that extemporaneously. I'm not reading that off the table. It's just a bullet point that launches me into it reminds me of the illustration that I want right. to share from something my boys did last week that's going to help me to make this point. Um, so a lot of it is not written there in paragraph form. It's just a bullet point that launches me into the next five minutes of what I'm going to say. Something you're familiar with, so you can tell that story. But I will I will say that's fascinating that uh, three pages of notes. So is it handwritten? Is it on an iPad? I mean, just give us some more details. I'm using Microsoft Word most of the time when I'm preparing a message, all the time. I will tell you, just since I mentioned my dad earlier, not to tell on him, he still uses yellow legal pads. You remember those legal pads? With the, sure. Yeah. So literally everything, in fact, my job right now, why I'm at my church today is because my job has been in his library. I'm kind of cleaning out his library for him. There are stacks and stacks, Ed, of decades of yellow legal pads with his actual handwriting, chicken scratch, that nobody can really read. See, that's the problem is we got to get problem. all this. Because I want to spend all day going through those yellow notepads, but if I can't read it, it's not going to help. 
read it. So we got to get all this stuff typed out so we can have all these good juicy notes. But um, I am typing, typing it out. Once I feel like it's come to a good place on my Microsoft Word document, I'm going to print it out, sit it in front of me. And then that's where those margins come in. Okay. Um, there is, as I'm kind of looking through it, I'll take a pen, I'll underline something that I want to make sure my eyes go to when I'm actually preaching or teaching. Um I was going to say highlight, but most of the time it's a pen, just a quick underline or a couple words that I want to just kind of pop off the page to remind me of something emphatically that I want to um, say or emphasize. And then, yes, in the margins, because, you know, how sometimes when you're reading through your thoughts after the fact, that's when an illustration comes to your mind that you didn't think of in the time in the moment. And I rarely go back to the Microsoft Word document. I start putting a little asterisk with a word out in the margin or I circle something or uh, just little words and those notes with all my my scribbles and scratches around them, they become a comfort zone to me. I don't want a clean, clean docket of notes. I want the old one that is the one that I've folded up and put in my Bible. And a year from now, I can pull that out with all those scratches all around. That's a comfort zone for me that I enjoy. Fascinating. How much time do you think you put into, because I recognize that, that you, you'll you repeat a message, you know, because, yes. but so, so to create the first version of it, how much time do you think that is? You know, I wish I was more of an organized person because then I could tell you that. Um, but I would say, I mean, it can't be any less than 15 to 20 hours. It's okay. probably too long, but I'm including in that, and this is some of the most valuable time and message preparation, honestly, that I have, is I'm including in that when I step away from all the notes and study in the Bible and the computer, and I'm actually just making dinner for my family, but I'm ruminating. It's still on me. Like a message sits on me until I'm finished. Um, yeah. uh, there is, man, when I go take a walk for an hour, after I've studied this and then I go for a walk in the fresh air and I'm just listening to nature or I've got my earbuds in and worship music playing and I'm praying through that message. I can't tell you how many dots come together that were not coming together when I was, um, you know, intentionally, deliberately trying to figure it out. When I stopped trying to figure it out and just let it marinate, I'm including in that that time frame, which I find carries so much value. Um, and sometimes I think we devalue that part of the process where we let it rest, where we step away from it, where we go to sleep for the night, go to sleep, put it aside and let the Lord just do some things in your heart and mind. Sometimes I get up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. And man, I just try to have my cell phone nearby or a piece of paper nearby because you think you're going to remember in the morning. But but you never do. I don't. And so you got to get up in the no, you got to get up in the middle of the night and type that thought down. And then in the morning, when I come back to those notes and look at them again, there are pieces of the puzzle that come together because I just let it rest. I yeah. wish I had learned earlier not to devalue the the importance of letting a message rest and marinate instead of trying to strain to make it happen. Yeah, and I, I think throughout the series, I think I've heard the words ruminate and marinate multiple times for multiple communicators. Yeah. And and I think that's a that's a that's a principle that's worth us coming back to, particularly you know those who are listening, who might say, well, you know, I, I gotta I got the grind, I gotta get this. Maybe I'm preaching every every weekend, and I've got the grind. But you can finish your sermon for next Sunday a week beforehand, which then gives it time to marinate, even as you're working on the next one. And and I'm just convinced that the the Lord uses that time. And I mean, your illustrations are one of my favorite parts of your communication. 
and uh, and some of them are just you know quite quite funny, but you're just gifted in those. And but those are things you're you're looking at probably in that marinating time. So so how yeah. are you? How is your radar up for these kinds of illustrations that then bring it so together beautifully yeah. in the teaching itself? Well, two things I want to say that go back to something you mentioned just then. First of all, I want to acknowledge the fact that I would be very different than a pastor who's preaching weekly to the right. same group of people. Right. I recognize there is, in a way, a luxury that I have in the sense that most of the time, you know, if I'm with the same group of people, that means twice a year, maybe I've been with this same group, this church or this women's group twice a year as opposed to weekly. So there is a a luxury that I have to to take a message and literally speak on that 12 times through the year because it's completely different groups of people from different right. walks of life. And if that's still a message the Lord has heavy on my heart to share with people, I'm going to do it. Um, and so I, I realize there are layers of maturity that that marinating allows me um, that would be different if I were a pastor that was preaching every week. Um, that being said, in regards to illustrations, um, there is a man by the name of Richard Allen Farmer. He is uh, 70 years old now. He pastors in the Atlanta area. He used to be at our church when I was in my teenage years and in my early 20s. Incredible pastor and minister and a great man. But he used to carry a little black book with him. I think he still does to this day. He showed me that black book. I wish I had it here with me. Um, I used it for many years. Now I use my cell phone. And the point of the black book is to house illustration material. So I would always have it with me in life. Now I have my cell phone with me in life. I have a whole file in my notes section of my phone that is called illustrations. When something happens, some, somebody says something, my kid does something funny, something happens to me, life happens. And I see that that thing is shimmering with the possibility of spiritual emphasis. I don't have to yet know where it's going, what message it's going into, what I'm going to do with it, what verse it connects to. I don't know none of that yet. I just know there is a weightiness to what was just said or what just happened that at some point might be great fodder for a message or for a book, for a chapter, for a blog, for a magazine article that I might need to write. And one of the greatest regrets that I've had in the years is thinking I'm going to remember something instead of taking the time in the moment to do what I like to, you know, I've prayed about that. Lord, help me to be more honoring of the opportunities you give me to house these illustrations, to treasure them, to pocket them. And then when the time comes, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a message that was a little bit bland and dry because it didn't have that element of story. And I flipped through that back that black book to number 238 that has been sitting there for five months. I had no idea what I was going to do with that illustration. And it fits perfectly in this message. Or it starts a chapter that I've been trying to figure out, where do I go with this chapter of this particular book I'm writing? And it fits there perfectly. And I'm so glad then that I took the time to record that illustration or that story. Yeah, I have the I do the same thing with my notes app and and I'm of the view, maybe I'm crazy, but I'm of the view that the Lord actually brings uh, teachers, preachers, communicators through situations. I actually will say sometimes, oh, there's an illustration the Lord wants me to have and I'll shot that down Absolutely. As, as well. And I would say, you know, and you mentioned that you're you're not, you know, doing this every week. And I do think that's an important distinction. Um, 
But the idea of gathering illustrations, the person with that little black book that you mentioned, that's someone who's preaching every week. So yeah. you can build those files and, and then they, they do make a difference. Um, do you practice, like your illustrations, do you practice them somehow beforehand to see if they resonate with people? Or do you have enough kind of instinct now to know, I can tell this illustration, people will get it. So how do you test or not test those illustrations? Hmm. That is a very interesting question. I can't say that I have tested them as much as there's just, uh, I guess instinct would be the word, this feeling yeah. that I'm able to tell the story and and anchor it with a weightiness that will lead us into this passage or support this this um, theme that I'm wanting to illustrate. Um, yeah, there's just a, a, a weightiness to it or there's something that I know will draw or endear the reader or the listener in so that I am able to then have their attention. To me, an illustration is an incubator. The point of it is to build enough of a ecosystem that I can rest my point in it. And it's so support this point and incubate this point that it provides um, an opportunity for the entire message to be cultivated in the heart of the reader. It's like a, it's like, fertilizer to just help this this point to, to carry more of a fervor and a fire in the ears of the listener. When you are um, preparing, you're engaging, trying to engage the text. Um, what do you go through? Certain commenters, you use computer programs. I mean, this is very practical, but th these are things that are super helpful oh, yeah. to people. How, how do you engage the text itself? Yes. Um, I try to discipline myself not to look at any extra biblical information too soon. I try to sit with the passage for a minute. Um, when I say a minute, I mean the first, you know, few times I'm reading through that, maybe through the first, if I have the space and margin for it, through the first week, I try to just read the text in different translations, pray through it, think about it. It might be for a couple of days where I just make sure to sit with it for a little while and see what observations and interpretation um, I'm going to gather and write down on the page that the Holy Spirit is bringing to my mind from uh, correlations that I'm making from things I've studied in the past, from Old Testament passages that that are coming to my mind that, that I can connect with this New Testament passage. I want to just see what the Holy Spirit's going to do first, put that on paper. And then, yes, most of the time, I'm going to immediately open up Logos Bible software um, I, I probably should be on their staff at this point, as should many of us. Because I <laughs> we mean, should get them to like be a, a sponsor of the podcast or something. Because same thing. I mean, I, I, I use it as well and find it invaluable. I mean, how can how can we not use it? I mean, I still am a lover of paper commentaries, right. books. I love underlining. I love flipping a page and seeing, you know, the dog ears from three years ago and having the little post-it notes, the small ones that are sticking out in all the different colors. I like that. But there is something that is so resourceful and necessary in this day and age about being able to quickly find resources gathered um, that are going to help me to see so many different insights that would take me hours and hours of study. Um, there are things we we wouldn't even be able to find, Ed. You know, they're in the back of Dallas Theological Seminary somewhere in somebody's dis dissertation. Um, but being able to, you know, put in that scripture verse and then see what pops up, see what maps pop up, what illustrations are there in Logos, what Tozier said about that, what Spurgeon had to say about that. You know, it's just an invaluable resource and enables me to dig deeper quickly um, so that I could put meat on the bones of this message that the Lord's brought to my heart. Yeah, I'm intrigued, though, that you start with uh, 
without engaging commentaries. I actually had to get to the place in my own life where I, I read a Bible without any notes in it because the notes just, I want to, I want to follow the notes and I, I end up, yeah. you know, in study when really I'm just trying to reflect directly on the word. And you said in that, that, you know, you want to see how the Holy Spirit works in you. So going from that, and then you go to the commentaries, where, what should the preacher teacher expect related to the Holy Spirit engaging that person. Uh, and again, I think you're the only one in the series I've really asked this question um, specifically. Uh, but but so so what can I expect? Is it do I need to study and do my best to communicate as best I can? Or what am I waiting on the Holy Spirit to guide? And how does he guide? Well, gosh, that is a great question. Um, there is always some margin in every message that I prepare that I feel is unprepared. Okay. There's always margin there that I wish that I could couch this a little bit more completely or that there was a bow tied on the end of this that was a little bit more substantial. I'm not quite seeing all everything tied together as comfortably as my humanity would like for it to be for me to feel confident when I get up there and share this message. That margin I have found for me is that Holy Spirit margin where I just say, okay, Lord, I literally know I have actually done everything that I can do here. Any more effort and energy I put into this um, is actually going to begin to do me a disservice. And I know that, Ed, I can always feel that when I'm starting to feel myself panic, um, when I'm feeling the worry and anxiety that my flesh starts to, to, to conjure up when I've done all I can do and I'm starting to move into the margin. This is something that the Lord has just kind of taught me for me in these 20 years, when I'm starting to move into the margin that I'm supposed to trust to him, mm -hmm. um, I start to feel this anxiousness and this worry and this desperation to make it fit um, instead of just trusting and depending. Now, this is after I have studied and shown myself approved. Right. It's, it's not a a license for laziness. This is sort of that Exodus 18 Sabbath principle where he says to the children of Israel, you go and gather days one through six. I'm going to give you a double portion on that sixth day. If you will trust me with the seventh and not go out and gather, you're going to have everything you need. You got to leave that margin. If you cross into that margin, you're going to be gathering and gathering and gathering. And, and there will be nothing to show for it. You will mm. have just wasted your time. Trust me that if you will, if you will just have dependence upon me, you're going to get a double portion from that sixth day. That principle is something that has instructed me and informed me in message preparation. Do what I can. And then mm. that margin where I start to feel panic that I got to go gather, I got to go gather. I know that that is me starting to move into my flesh's response for wanting to be what God is supposed to be in this message. Okay. And so, and that's, you kind of frame that around preparation. Do you leave any um, openness for redirection? I, I just, I, I was preaching at a charismatic Anglican church here in the UK. I just had a fascinating conversation afterwards and someone said, you know, because they commented on my message being very prepared. And I, I think they meant that as a good thing. They said, how do you like, what if the Holy Spirit just redirects you? And my, my answer was, well, generally the Holy Spirit has directed me in the preparation of yeah. that. So how, how, where's the spot? Is there spontaneity in Holy Spirit leadership in the delivery of that message? Or is it mainly 
the spirit has led me in the preparation of that message or maybe it's both, but if so, what are the yeah. percentages? I need exact percentages. <laughs> exact percentages. <laughs> no, just, you know what I mean? Just opine yeah. a little bit on it. Well, I was going to say, I think it is both. And I think the yeah. Holy spirit is leading us in the preparation. And I do think that that's what that margin is for when I stand up to teach because all that editing that I did, cutting and pasting things off of the page, that's still in my mind and it's still in my heart. Um, there have been times when just talking about the Holy Spirit leading a minute, leading a, a meeting or leading a gathering, there used to be a time where in a, you know, a seminar, I would have a question and answer time. And I can remember people asking questions about a passage that had I not done my study, yes, the Holy Spirit gave me the words to say in the moment, but it was partly because he had prepared me in advance to make sure that I had an adequate response for what it was that I didn't know I was going to be asked in front of a thousand people in that moment. So yes, the Holy Spirit leads us beforehand, but as we prepare, we don't even know that he is equipping us and preparing us for those moments of spontaneity or where the Holy Spirit is going to give us insight into what this particular group is dealing with that might be a nuance of this text that is not on our paper to share. But as we're talking, there's a bit of a, a shimmer of holy fervor that comes into our heart and mind about that portion of this passage that uh, that's not on our notes. It didn't make it on the notes, but it just needs to be shared with this group. Or afterwards, when that one person has come to ask me a question about something in their personal life, and I know that something that was off my notes page, but I remember it and I can tell that is what this person needs to hear for what it is that they're dealing with in their personal private life in the moment. I don't discount any of that spontaneity and its connection to my preparation as also the Holy Spirit moving in the moment to make me an adequate servant for his purposes for those people. So you mentioned that 10 years ago we had, we, you know, you were doing the, uh, talking about your new resource and we, we had the, we were doing this television show together and I just had the joy of just watching the Lord use you in so many ways over the last decade. I wonder over the last decade, what, in what ways has, it can be more than that if you want to say, you said 20 years too, in what ways has your communication changed and is some of that just growing in experience or there's been any intentionality and I want to grow in this area or that area? Ooh, that's a good question. I, I try to ask ones that are challenging, and I want to I, I want to get every bit of wisdom I can out of these great communicators. You're, you're well. Look who's talking, Ed Stetzer, folks. You you are the communicator, sir. Oh, you're gracious, <laughs> and it's true. But um, I hope that I've matured. Um, you know, sure. you know, it's kind of painful, isn't it? Ed, when we go back and listen to, you know, a recording of ourselves from a year ago, much less 10 years ago, it's like, yeah. Lord have mercy. Um, so I hope that there's a maturity, a weightiness, a depth. Um, the older I get, the more precise that I want to be. Uh, I feel like there isn't a lot of time to waste with fluff. I feel like I was a little bit more fluffy um, 15 years ago. There might have been, uh, uh, you know, more stories than I should have been telling because I felt in some way that I needed to uh, prepare the audience for the hard hitting stuff. Um, I, I don't feel that way now. Um, I probably gathered a little bit of that from the late, great Elizabeth Elliot, who would stand in front of a group of people and with no emotion pretty much at all, would just say, here's what the scripture says, and then move forward and walk off the platform. Um, there is a great um, 
gosh, endearment that I have to women like that and like Anne Graham Lotz, who have an authority um, where there is very little, if any, illustration. I still see the value in an illustration, but I'm less dependent upon that now. I want more to get as quickly as I can to what thus saith the Lord, because that's what's going to change the hearts and the lives of people. Um, and I'm grateful for the creativity that he has given us with which to say it. But I want to get to that more quickly because I feel like time is short. The hour is short. Jesus is coming back. The culture is in a state of decline. And every opportunity that he gives me to have 45 minutes with a group of people that need to be encouraged in his word, equipped to walk in victory and stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. I want to use as much as that of that 45 minutes as I possibly can to actually give them the word of God and to stir them to action. As I said, we're kind of wrapping up our, our great communicator series. And, you know, it's been fascinating to me how many people have come up to me and said, oh, I listened to this, I found this helpful and it helped me in my preparation. Um, but I noticed that it was serious. I didn't ask many people this question the way I want to ask you is that let's say you've got a room full of, of uh, preachers of all kinds. Some are new, some are old communicators of all kinds, uh, you know, just started out been doing it for years. And they, they, they said to you, someone just raised their hand and said, what advice would you give to us? What should we know if you had just, you know, five minutes to say, this is my advice to you. So that's what I'm asking you and to the people listening to this great communicator, great communicator series, uh, give them your advice in closing for how to build the kind of, be the kind of communicator, uh, preacher, teacher, communicator that God's called them to be. You know, this is going to sound really elementary, but I think I would say, be yourself mm -hmm. as you communicate God's word. There is such power in making sure that the way you are sharing what it is that God has laid on your heart to share is coming through the prism of who's, who he's created you to be. Don't dub, dumb down the cultural expressions that might be true of the way you were raised, the illustrations that happened in your life, the personality that you have, whether more quiet and reserved or more outgoing and boisterous. Be who you are, because there are some people that you you and I could say the exact same thing, but they're not going to hear it until it comes through the prism of who you are. And I think particularly in our social media age where we are now having the opportunity more so than 10, 20 years ago to easily compare ourselves with every other communicator out there because we're seeing the clips of everybody from everywhere. It can become such a device of the enemy to make us compare and then quickly try to acquiesce so that we are more like the person that we admire, the impact of their ministry to where we have quieted down the beauty and the value of the uniqueness of you and of me. So I would want to tell my 20 year old self that girl, be who you are, exactly who you are in the skin color you're in with the hair texture you've got. Um, yes, look towards the women who you admire for their modesty, their authority, their femininity in ministry, but don't let that quiet or cause you to begin to um, in any way acquiesce the uniqueness of who God created you to be and the background and the history he's given you to support this ministry he's entrusted you um, to have. Go ahead and bring all that to the table because the people he's entrusting to you need it the way you're going to give it to them. 
Priscilla Shire, I'm glad you are who you are, and I'm glad you've allowed God to use you. You have blessed me and many, many others. Thanks for joining us in the Great Communicator series. I'm so grateful to you for including me with all these great communicators you've had on. Seriously, thanks. You've been listening to Priscilla Shar. You can learn more about her at goingbeyond.com. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.